Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Dr. Erica McAllister is my very special guest for this extra episode. She's the author of Secret Life of Flies and is just about to release her next book, the inside out of flies. She's one of my entomology heroes, an excellent scientist, shares my fascination for bloodsuckers, and has a drive to answer all sorts of questions from the curious public. We met at the Field Museum of Natural History, where Erica took some time out of her tour of the insect collection to come and meet me at my day job in the museum's basement. We had so much fun talking about flies and their associated myths, so I hope you have fun listening to it too. Today we have a very special Tiny Vampires episode where I have a guest host. Hello, hello everyone. Um, my name is Erica McAllister and I'm one of the senior curators at the Natural History Museum in London, specifically working on flies and fleas. Yeah, which is the best. Yep. Uh, all the, all the blood sucking yeah. groups. <laughs> Our interaction kind of started on Twitter with a cartoon. Uh, do you want to describe it? I mean, it's a cartoon that actually made me giggle inappropriately for hours. <laughs> so it's two males, uh, cartoon males. Um, one of them, a mosquito lands on his arm. And the other's like, dude, you've got a mosquito in your arm. And he's like, it's all right. I just let them feed. And then the mosquito explodes. And um, the guy's like, oh. And the other guy's face is one of pure horror. And the original guy who's been fed on says, better get my blood pressure checked, yeah. <laughs> which just made me giggle a lot. Yeah, especially as somebody that I've had to feed mosquitoes on my arm before, it's like, yeah. it's like kind of identifying. So I decided that we would kind of talk about different uh, mosquito and fly myths, um, because that's one of those myths that like a mosquito feeding on your arm can explode. Nope. Yeah. But before we, we get into some of the myths, let's get into like a little bit of background first. So um, the question you get all the time, what is a fly <laughs> in the broadest sense of the term? So flies are um, slightly annoying because I'm going to tell you the three things that make a fly a fly and then tell you that there's loads of flies that don't do any of that. So a fly, um, as an adult, it has suctorial mouth parts. So you can never be bitten by a fly. You can be sliced, maimed, pierced. 
you know, all of that. But you can't actually be bitten because they've only got sucking mouth parts. <laughs> they have one pair of wings. Um, so this is the nice, obvious distinguishing thing between them and, say, wasps mm-hmm. and bees. But there's a lot of flies that don't have wings just to kind of play with your head. Yeah. And then they have a pair of halters, which are their proprioceptors, their gyroscopic organs. So why flies are arguably the best flies on the planet <laughs> is because of all these sensory organs. Mm-hmm. So, And it also is not just helping them fly, but it means that how they walk upside down and things like that, walk up really slightly. These little receptors are the ones actually helping them keep their balance. Mm. Again, there's flies without these. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. they have to be difficult. Of course. <laughs> and then there's flies where the adults don't have mouth parts, really. Mm. So again, you're like, oh, flies, really? Yeah. So I understand that there's a slight problem with them, but they're very worthwhile. Yeah. That mosquitoes, long piercing mouth part, delicate wings, delicate bodies, mm-hmm. scales on wings, and you're like, ah, oh, it's a mosquito. Yeah. Yeah. So there are some that are non-biting midges that look alike, and the males, again, are really, really fluffy, just mm-hmm. like the male mosquitoes, but the mouth parts separate them. Yeah. How many species of flies are there? <laughs> it's a hard question. It's a very hard question. <laughs> there are on the top four orders of uh, insects, so arguably one, one in ten animals on the planet is a fly. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to number of species description, um, I believe we're in about 170, 180,000. I could be lying. Um, we're very underdescribed. Um, flies, they haven't got the publicity and the historic, uh, lovings mm. that the butterflies and moths and the beetles have. But when it comes to total species diversity, we realize that the, the flies, along with the bees and wasps and ants, are probably going to just dominate. Um, just to give you, in the UK, for example, there's, what, 3,000 species of butterflies and moths, and I think it's 4,000 of beetles. I think it's something like that. But there's over 7,000 species of fly. Oh, wow. So there's more species of fly in our country than there are mammals on the planet. Kind of put it in perspective. Yeah. I mean, that's that's when you, once you start diving into the invertebrate world, it's, yeah. it's a whole nother ballgame. It is. And, yeah. and there's so many more species out there. And there's so many flies have got really cryptic species. Mm-hmm. So like Anopheles gambiae, the big mosquito mm-hmm. that's the big vector, it's one in about, I think it's seven species. Mm-hmm. They all look alike. They just behave a little bit differently. And you're like, ah. Yeah. And this, it's quite annoying but it's also very important because mm. we might be trying to kill species that don't transmit the malaria right so or we may be trying not to kill more species mm. that do so we've got to be really careful about this yeah and that's that's one of the things that i've talked a lot about on the show is vector competence yeah and so it's so important to tell the difference between two species because really? yeah. because one might have fantastic vector competence and one might not, yeah. and at a glance they look the same. Yeah. yeah, and I've seen some horrific things in my time when it comes to insect repellents. Oh, yeah. Where they put crane flies on the front of the box. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, now this is really bad because not only are you going out and killing the harmless crane flies, mm. but they also meaning the public aren't figuring out which ones aren't. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole lot of high level ignorance by these companies. It's like it's all right; they all look alike, don't they? Yeah. And you're like, no. Yeah. This is like putting an elephant and then saying it's a rhinoceros. Yeah. And like, and some of the the insects that they're showing are actually ones that 
kill know. mosquitoes when they're in their larval form. Yeah, no, well, it's, uh, well, I don't know. Cramp, uh, yeah, the toxiwankites. Yeah. Yeah, those oh, beautiful, yeah. beautiful <laughs> mosquitoes. They look really scary. They look mm. crazy. Vegetarians as adults, both the females and the males, and the mm. larvae. They're lovely. I was collecting the, not them, in South Africa. Mm. I was collecting another type of mosquito. It took me weeks to find it. Yeah. I put out my little bowls. I was ringing up all the mosquitoes. It's all generally lovely. I came in the next day. All my little larvae are gone, apart from one really fat larvae. Yeah. And I'm like... Just happy as a clown. Yeah, really, really happy. <laughs> and I'm like, I know what you are. Yeah, great. So in flies, there are a lot of blood feeders, like more than in other groups of insects. So um, how many blood feeders are there and like why? Yeah. Well, no, because you think about the whole of fleas, the whole thing of blood feeders. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, but they are quite alike. So yeah. uh, it makes sense because it's very, very nutrient rich. Mm-hmm. So it's only the females in most cases, mm-hmm. not all the cases that are blood feeders um, because she uses it as an extra nutrient bonus to for egg development. Mm-hmm. So you need a lot of protein to make huge, it. Huge, yeah. yeah. These mothers are going all out there to look after their babies. We can't mm. have a go at them for being the best mothers. Yeah. You know, it's how... So both of them nectar feed, the males and the females nectar feed, and then the females will supplement her diet extra on top. Mm-hmm. Now, that is the case with all the blood feeders apart from the tetsy. Mm-hmm. And the tetsy flies which are, the rest of them are all in the lower flies. Tetsis mm-hmm. are in the higher flies. And both the males and the females blood feed here. Mm-hmm. And these are more unusual is the tetsis give birth to live young. Yeah. Which is the most fascinating <laughs> and... Horrifying. Horrifying. <laughs> yeah, she, when you when you think about it from a human perspective. Uh, so we, we I just um, talked about this in my previous episode, that is basically like giving birth to a 14-year-old. And the fact that she <laughs> lactates internally, she's, she's feeding internally. Yeah. That the idea of something that large coming out of me is just, yeah. well, <laughs> it's quite horrifying. So I can't go there anymore. It's amazing. So, you know, yeah. those two... And it's interesting what they, a lot of these blood feeders, why they why they have such a bad time is because they are vectors. Mm-hmm. But we're understanding so much more about vector manipulation now. So the tetsies, when they have a trypanosome infection, they act differently. They behave differently because of this parasite. Mm. And we see this in mosquitoes. So she would feed more. She would go into different environments. All sorts of things happen when she's got the malarial uh, protozoan inside her. Mm-hmm. So there's this crazy manipulation going on. Yeah. So I, I always feel bad for mosquitoes. and Yeah. I know that's terrible. Because it's like their the behavior is more risky. Yes. Um, because like more biting means absolutely it's, it's, their their chances of being swatted or something like that absolutely. is so much higher. Imagine sitting in a restaurant and something something's going to come along and stamp on you. There's a little bit more edge, right? On a feeling, yeah. Like no lingering romantic moments over the candles. Like <laughs> we got to get out of here. Incredibly stressful yes. time for her, yes. which is something that I think most people wouldn't really consider like we we almost think of them as like villains um no. like coming in but really it's it's more like they're they're dashing in and every out every single and part of their life cycle like the mosquito doesn't want the parasite any more than no, we want to we catch want it. it from exactly, them exactly and it's i i think this is something um i obviously i'm not saying that 
um, we should keep all mosquitoes. I yeah. am saying <laughs> that we need to think about if we're going to break the disease, we break that barrier. Mm-hmm. We don't wipe out the mosquitoes. Um, there's 3,300 species of mosquito, of which only 150 of them are really important. And the idea of being able to go out and, and wipe out species of mosquito fills me with a certain, look, I think we need to really probably understand because, again, when one does one species stop, another species start. Right. And I, right. I worry about this with vectors. Oh, makes... And they are, you know, the males, are, they're good pollinators. Yeah. And we've done so little research into pollinator ecology in a lot of these neglected groups, mm-hmm. I think. This is other areas. And we're, we're looking at mosquitoes for all sorts of exciting stuff now when it comes to bio-inspired products. So how their mouth parts manipulate under the skin, which <laughs> I just think is amazing. Yeah. The idea. They can't even see what's going on and they know you know yeah how to pick up all the blood cues under their skin yeah that's pretty incredible yeah my my graduate research was actually on um studying which plants uh mosquitoes feed on and this is something that we we don't know because we've just now started to think of them as animals and not just flying syringes and it's it's interesting but still people don't even count them as flies yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we, we've got a long way. They don't even realize they're flies, let alone animals. Right. And, um, and it is often I get, insects and other animals is my mm. favorite. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. And then mosquitoes and, and the flies. And I'm mm. like, okay, we've got a long way to go with the public. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so that's what we're here for is talking, talking about myths that, um, that people have kind of perpetuated, uh, so we can kind of get back to, um, to talking about that cartoon. Like, I guess, why was it, why was it so ridiculous? Like, why, why is it that our blood pressure doesn't actually impact the mosquito? So our blood pressure isn't that high yeah it can never be that high sadly we can't do it uh theoretically you can blow up an aphid but mm. I, I don't know whether that's true i i've heard rumors of it but yeah no and and you've got neurological control mm-hmm. mosquitoes are thinking mm-hmm. they're not gonna let themselves get blown up yeah so uh, i believe that you can <laughs> if you you know disrupt their neurological pathway so they don't think about it they can overfeed yeah but um, you know, they naturally themselves can't do it. They've got pumps going on. Mm-hmm. They've got all sorts of constrictions going on. So mm-hmm. they hit a limit. They're like, that's actually fine. Yeah. So it's it's similar to us. We have a, Some s- of a us. sensation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have a, a sensation of feeling full. Yes. And and so we just stop eating. Stop. Exactly. <laughs> um, so and, you know, she's not going to hang around. Yeah. We're a very dangerous environment to feed on. Oh, yeah. So she needs to get out, you know, the minimal amount that she needs for her egg meal, for egg development, and then she's out of there. Well, there's just no way she's going to go, this is great. Yeah, <laughs> just hang out. I'm going to hang out here. Yeah. Oh, look, there's a hand. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so so warm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it seems like there, there must be, um, like evolutionarily speaking, Something about flies that something about their mouth parts that makes it um, easy for them to transition from uh, like nectar feeding into blood feeding. Yeah. Um, do you, Do you have any idea of like what what that might be? You know, and then they've they've got these brilliant pumps. Mm-hmm. So they've got the again like 
they've got up to six pumps in their heads. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so yeah. for taking up um, the nectar and taking up the fluid, mm-hmm. exactly the same principle of taking up blood very quickly. Right, so, right. So so it's, like, just easy to adapt from yeah. from one to the other. But nectar is no way good as a food source as blood oh, is. Oh, yeah, because so it's, yeah. like, just sugar, Yeah, basically. exactly. <laughs> it's like just eating Twinkies all day. <laughs> Having never eaten a Twinkie, I generally don't think I ever want to. I don't think you're missing out too okay, much. Good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no. Now I feel quite nauseous. Sorry. Let's get back to blood. Yeah. I think I can cope with that better. Yeah, that's that's how you know you belong on the show. <laughs> so you were saying that, like, different blood-feeding flies have different types of mouth parts. Like, what what's kind of the, the spectrum that we're looking at? So you've got, so a horse fly, for example, and mm-hmm. anyone who's ever been bit, well, I say bitten. Yeah. I use that as a term. Yeah. I've been attacked by a horse fly lady. Um, they would know that they hurt. Oh, yeah. Because she still has primitive mandibles, and we mm-hmm. don't think about flies having mandibles, the very toughened part of the mouth parts, which she uses to slice your flesh. Mm-hmm. It's always a good description. And then yeah. she laps up the pooling blood, which is very <laughs> nice. But again, she, she got, she's got a mouth parts so she can suck it up. Mm-hmm. You've got, sorry, I should probably start with the more primitive ones, like the, the sand flies, the biting midges, mm-hmm. the, the black flies and the mosquitoes. They, yeah. you know, they've got these proper suctorial mouth parts, various different lengths. And some of them can be quite sharp and mm-hmm. piercing and stabby. And then you go through to things like stomoxys, which mm-hmm. is in the housefly family. So we think of the houseflies as the vomiters. Yeah. Yeah, they've got these nice paddy, fleshy mouth parts, which mm-hmm. uh, they've got these pseudotracheal pump, uh, pads, so they lap up these partially digestive fluids, etc. Yeah. But then there's one type which we call the stable flies, the stomoxys. Mm-hmm. And, oh boy... <laughs> and you can their mouth parts look like slightly inverted uh, vases, vases you call yes. vases. Okay, so think about a very like long tube vase going into you, and it's got sliced little scissors teeth at the end of it okay. that it shreds through your flesh. Yeah. Fantastic stuff. <laughs> but it is apparently the tetsy, and I've never been bitten by a tetsy. Yeah. But apparently they are the most painful when it comes to because again oh. it just forces. Quite a large mouth part oh, yeah. proboscis into you. Yeah, and you can see, like, when you see a photo yeah. of them, their mouth parts are huge. They are yeah. formidable. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, the mosquito mouth parts, they are sheathed. And um, only a, a tiny bit of it will go, actually, of the, the different stylets will go into your... And it, it's beautiful. It's it's, yeah. it's it's such a mad way of how she protects it and how she looks after it and, mm-hmm. and keeps it clean. Whereas, like, the, the stomoxies and the uh, tetsy, they're out there. They're just ready. Just, yeah. You know, yeah, I'm going to get in there. And the horsefly's like, yeah, do you want to really start? And yeah. horse fly and you're like, yeah, okay. Yeah. But so it's it's just a so because it's such a painful bite, do they feed more quickly? Uh well your blood um pools quickly. Mm-hmm. So she's able to get it fast. Yeah. So I mean the the the, the biggest issue apart from her near death of trying to avoid being killed by whatever mm-hmm. is the uh, coagulation of the blood so she has to you know release an anticoagulant mm-hmm. and she has to keep feeding fast otherwise we just heals very quickly yeah so yeah and or you get smack or yeah. you get the smack yeah <laughs> we have one of my one of my favorite collections of horse flies in the collection mm-hmm. they are about a millimeter thick mm-hmm. so they have been collected oh my like gosh that. <laughs> 
<laughs> so if you look at them from one way, they look like perfect specimens, and then you turn them yeah. 90 degrees, and you're like, oh, well, hold on a minute. Yeah, <laughs> they're like a piece of paper. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so is it, does that make it more difficult to identify them? Yeah, it's not the best. Yeah. <laughs> it's not ideal. Yeah. It's interesting. We're, we're now looking at, uh, I've got a project running where we're looking at historic DNA mm-hmm. from whole genome, mitochondrial de- genome, mm-hmm. from our mosquito collection going back 100 years. Oh, wow. But what we're also starting to think about is taking the blood meal out of the abdomens. Oh, yeah. So this is where it gets very interesting. So we're actually going to be able to incriminate for the first time what they're feeding on. Mm. Because obviously most mosquitoes are bird feeders. Mm-hmm. They're not mammal feeders. Yeah. So it'd be really nice to actually go, you know what, all of this lot you let off. Yeah. But also then we can look at the plasmodium if mm. we have any of them. Because avian malaria is a huge thing. Oh, yeah. And in terms of conservation now, we've got uh, mosquitoes moving into different regions. And so suddenly these populations of birds that were like penguins that weren't affected will now be affected because right. mosquitoes bringing in hosts, bringing mm-hmm. in these um, plasmodia are going to go in. So it's it's interesting how techniques we use for, for humans to understand the vector analysis, we can now start using for conservation as well. Right. Because I know that's it's a huge problem in, in Hawaii because there was never... Um, there, there were never mosquitoes transmitting avian malaria there, and it's wiped out quite a few of the bird species. We have a problem in, say, London Zoo. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So now all our birds are on um, uh, anti-malarials. Oh, jeez. Well, because they're the penguins. They were yeah. Shit. They came to London. It's hey, like, what's going on? Oh, there's mosquitoes. Yeah. Oh, damn. <laughs> what on earth is this? Yeah. Thing? And yeah. there were several deaths. Yeah. We can't have penguins dying. The yeah. public would just be like, no. Nope. Oh, yeah. Too cute. It's too cute. You can't have that. And it's like, yeah. whoops, killed another penguin. Obviously, this doesn't happen now, and London Zoo is fine, and it's hilarious. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, one of the, the myths that I've come across over the time that I've been doing this show is that viruses, because they can transmit viruses like West Nile, yeah. they could also transmit viruses like HIV. HIV. Nah. And um, But like, why Why is it that's that they can transmit some and not others? There's a big size difference mm. in the viruses themselves. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, that was one of the things that they can't do it. And they just don't take that much blood. Mm-hmm. So um, with certain things that it's going to be easily transmitted and others it won't. And HIV has just not been mm-hmm. one of those viruses that mosquitoes get on well with. Yeah. Um, so Because it has to be adapted to their to I've, live in their bodies, because it yeah. has to be in there for some time. Yeah, and, and, and HIV is, is, is relatively new. Mm-hmm. So Western Nile, dengue, malaria. Malaria's been around, you know, mm-hmm. for, although that's a plasmodium rather than a virus. Yeah. But, you know, these are things that have... I mean, dengue is dengue's the one that worries me. Yeah. Uh, our climate is changing fast. Mm-hmm. Our, our migratory routes amongst humans, we are rapidly moving everywhere. Yeah. We, we, you know, we don't settle anymore. And so all of these things are just going to get worse rather yeah. than get better. Yeah. So, uh, so, you know, getting that funding and yeah. keeping keeping these things in the front of our minds, even though it seems like like something like Zika isn't as much of an issue anymore because, you know, we just have these massive vector control districts that are controlling it for us. But, but I mean, have we, yeah. uh, I mean, we have to think about how we're controlling it. 
Right. And um, a, a lot of people were like, I mean, the classic with when malaria was the bed nets. Mm-hmm. And it was like, hold on, it worked in Africa. Why can't we just use bed nets everywhere? And it's like, yeah, because you've got different mosquitoes. Yeah. You've got mosquitoes in Africa that feed at night and you've got mosquitoes in Indonesia that feed in the evenings. So it's we've got to get through that actually this is really important and we keep doing this research. We're looking at loads of different types of mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. We're looking at them at doing different activity um, carrying different diseases, all sorts of things. Yeah. So we've got so much work to do. It's really motivating yeah. to, to know how much um, this kind of work can impact human health. Yeah. yeah. But also, um, if you get rid of the mosquitoes, what what is the knock-on effect there? So we've got to think about environmental health as well. Right, right. So we are we are one species on a planet. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to look at ourselves more and involve what's going on. So this is why we need to trial all these different ways mm-hmm. of doing what's best for all. Right. And it was interesting when they did all the tetsi work in Africa and they went in and they got rid of tetsi in loads of regions. Mm-hmm. They Other tetsis came in from other regions, so mm-hmm. they brought in different... So you create different problems. We, yeah. we, we got to be careful to think through long-term strategies of what the impact right. of our little short-term ways of deleting the problem there and then. It's what might be expedient, might not yes. be what's yes. what uh, in the long term is yeah. what we really should be doing. I've kind of been interested in, in public health for a while. And one of my favorite concepts that's come about recently is the concept of One Health which is uh, bringing in ecologists into public health, bringing in veterinarians yeah. and um, like wildlife ecologists and saying, you know, something that is killing white-tailed deer right now might impact human yeah. health later. And if we, if we take care of the entire system, we can not only prevent diseases – but we can kind of create a healthier all-around yeah. balanced ecosystem. Absolutely agree with this. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's definitely the way forward. I'm, I'm an ecologist. I come from an ecology background. Mm-hmm. And I the idea of, of taking species in separation, yeah. I can't see how that will ever work. And, um, and we are one of the species on the planet, and we need to think about the impact of all of it and milk, making it a healthier environment for all. Mm-hmm. So when we go in with disease control, we have to think about the greater picture, the holistic picture, right. and doing it like that. So we talked a little bit about dengue, and one of the myths that has come out of Puerto Rico is um, that if you catch dengue more than once, then it's 100% fatal. Can you talk talk a little bit about that? It's not 100% fatal. Yeah. <laughs> but you are definitely weaker because of it. And um, we were, as field biologists, we would think twice oh, yeah. after we've got dengue mm-hmm. about going back because the probability is because you've been so immunosuppressed or weakened, mm-hmm. uh, it's harder. Yeah. I'm slightly optimistic about vaccines with it. Yeah. So that seems to be very progressive at the moment, which would be good. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure this is one is a myth that you hear a lot is that um, houseflies are filthy and um, covered in disease. <laughs> uh, so if this is true, what kind of diseases are they actually transmitting? Okay. So <laughs> they're not covered in disease. 
Yeah. Let's get rid of that. They're arguably some of the cleanest organisms on the planet because they have to be. Mm. If they're covered in crap, they can't fly. They're, they're, their body is covered in sensors. Mm-hmm. So mechanical sensors, sensory, um, you name it, um, they are covered in these sensors. Mm-hmm. So if they've got stuff all over them, it's not going to be good for them. However, <laughs> saying that, they do eat feces. They do eat partially digested things. They eat mm. from environments that have a lot of bacteria. So then they can regurgitate this onto other food sources. Um, and often they will, if they, they can walk mm-hmm. through stuff, although they've got taste sensors on their feet. Mm-hmm. So again, they will want to, I mean, how many times have you watched a fly clean itself? Oh yeah, all the time. All the time. Yeah. They're obsessed by cleaning. Yeah. In fact, what's really fun, and don't do this, if you cut off their front pair of legs, yeah. it, they will learn to use their second pair of legs. Oh wow. So they, they will take a little bit of time because it's more important for them to clean yeah. than it is to do anything else in many ways because they have to make sure yeah. it's all done. So yeah. they are all about the clean. But, and there is work coming out about the pathogen spread because of the partially digestive. Mm-hmm. So, my advice is cover up food, but we really do need them. Yeah. Regurgitating this food and getting rid of our waste. Please don't kill them. <laughs> just, just look after your own area. Yeah. Humans are quite, um, we're quite bad at keeping clean. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, we, we do, I wouldn't like to cast aspersions about everybody, <laughs> but I know that you know, at times I can be quite lazy about certain Food practices of leaving food out. Yeah. So, and they can smell this food from a long way away. Mm-hmm. So, that's why they're such good little detectives. Smell a corpse out from nowhere. Yeah. So, I mean, when yeah. it, you know, if people have cats and dogs. Yeah. Okay. You're dealing with probably way more, way more products being walked into and around your house than a fly could possibly produce. Um, cats cleaning themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, a cat cleaning themselves, fly cleaning themselves. Cat can be covered in all sorts of stuff, and then a cat licks your face. Just saying. And nobody thinks twice. Nobody thinks twice. <laughs> you know, I shake hands with you. I don't know where you've been. I handle money. Oh, yeah. Money <laughs> is covered with everything mm-hmm. you really do not know how many fecal samples are going to be on money <laughs> and it's like mm, there's a lot worse going on out there right right plus they're really good pollinators flies um, mm. house flies you know we're starting to use them think about uh, several species in greenhouses mm-hmm. so we, we, everyone hates flies and we've just got to get over it mm-hmm. you wouldn't have chocolate if it wasn't for flies mm-hmm. so yeah plus the blood suckers and of the predators, there's these new venoms to science. Mm-hmm. So there's all sorts of fun things coming out of of what we might not necessarily like. Don't want to slam any doors. Yeah. I, I want to keep everything open. We've right. got, you know, we don't want to get rid of a, an animal from the environment if we don't know the impact it has in that environment. Right. Yeah, we don't know what tools it can offer us in the future, what insights mm-hmm. it can. It's, you know, we're, we are... We're now looking at bio-inspired technology differently, and we're suddenly mm-hmm. going, hold on, the insects have been doing it for a long time. Yeah. So we talked about some of the some of the myths that I've heard around. What what the, some of the the fly myths that you've had to debunk over crane your career? Flies. Yeah. <laughs> it's always the crane fly. Erica, is it true that the crane fly is the most venomous creature on the planet? It's just that they can't, they don't have mouth parts to pierce, whatever. I'm like, okay, right, crane flies. So lots of flies do have piercing mouth parts. Mm-hmm. We've been discussing this. Yeah. Why would the crane flies go, do you know what? I'm going to make myself the most venomous 
but just to have really crap mouth parts. Yeah. What's the let's point think of that? about that. Yeah. <laughs> Evolutionally, let's just take a step back. Yeah. So no, they have no venom. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do have functional mouth parts, some of them, but most of them uh, short-lived as adults. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all about breeding at that point. Adults, it's all about adult time. Yeah, I like yeah. <laughs> adult time and dispersal and migration. Mm-hmm. So the majority of the life cycle. Um, I was having this discussion yesterday on Twitter. Someone was going about hoverflies, and they were going, "Yeah, but I mean, we're talking about adults." And I'm like, "No, hoverfly is the name for the whole of the life cycle." Yeah, but we don't think about their immature stages, the right. larval stages. They're still hoverflies. The and that's the problem with common names as well. Oh yeah. So um, harvestman. Mm-hmm. So daddy long legs. Yeah. So crane flies, they call daddy long legs. Harvestmen, they call daddy long legs. And daddy long legs spiders, they call daddy long legs. Yeah. And two out of the three of those have no venoms. Yeah. So, and even the, the, the cellar spiders, the daddy long leg spiders, mm-hmm. they, their venom is really quite pathetic. Yeah. It's like me pinching you at the most. Yeah. <laughs> With that, it's like, oh, it's that. Yeah. So no, that myth is just totally... Mm. One of my favorite ones is about horse flies, and it was some guy who he wrote about this, and it took ages to be debunked, <laughs> which was silly because it was stupid, that it flew so fast it could break the sound barrier. <laughs> but he said he saw that, which is like, oh, really? Hold on a minute, there's a whole lot going on wrong. And um, no, so that was a nice, fun myth, yeah. but that was just a terrible myth. I just imagine what the... What the sonic boom would be. Yeah. Wouldn't, and it goes to fly because it's just another one I like is that, um, all insects are terrestrial and it's like, no, because there's loads oh. of flies that are marine. Yeah. I mean, there's loads of other creatures, but it's all about the flies. Yeah. So, um, the fact that some flies spend their whole life in marine environments, mm. there's things that people don't expect mm-hmm. and there's things that people just keep going, isn't this the case? Uh, flies without wings freaks people out. They're like, are they walks? No. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh, but they're like, so what makes them a fly? And I'm like, oh, right, here we go. I have to try and explain how right. it, the evolutionary process of how they got to where they are. Yeah. So um, are there are there any other myths that you wanted to, to <laughs> get off your chest, I guess? <laughs> no, I, I think the myth that um, the flies, um, you know, that they are, they're just revolting, they're pointless, and they mm. shouldn't be here. I mean, if you get rid of flies, I mean, just take the fact that they do feed on a lot of things we don't like. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. Because imagine if they didn't. Yeah. I don't <laughs> want to be swimming in in, in a, a pile of feces. I do not want to have all these decomposing bodies anywhere. I The myth that they don't pollinate, when well, we know that probably half the families are pollinators, if yeah. not more. They're so important. We wouldn't have mangoes. We wouldn't have carrots. We wouldn't have coriander. We wouldn't have parsley. We wouldn't have peppers. We wouldn't have black pepper. All mm-hmm. of these things predominantly pollinated by flies. So, and then, and everything else from their, their medical importance to their, their venoms to all of these different things. Mm. Their, their architecture. I mean, how fly, flies. Yeah. How it walks. Very amazing. Yeah. <laughs> All of these things going on. I think it's about time we stop just dissing on flies full yeah. stop and start to appreciate their wonders. And and speaking from like the medical standpoint, it's it's not only that they're doing bad things. They're doing really good things. Yeah. The like the the reintroduction of medical yeah. maggots. Maggot debridement therapy. You can get it on the NHS in the UK. Well, mm-hmm. we still have it. Yeah. And <laughs> that's very good. But you're also looking at think about maggots where they live. 
Mm-hmm. A lot of them live in really nasty environments. Why aren't they getting pathogens? Mm-hmm. Why aren't they getting disease? Because they themselves, they have a coating on that. Mm-hmm. We are looking at that coating to think about how we can use it mm-hmm. ourselves to how we can make pills and medicine. So medically important, not just in one yeah. direction. Yeah. <laughs> Which is another thing that we need to, to embrace. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, one of the things that I really like to talk about on Tiny Vampires is how we have figured all of these things out. So to that end, can you talk something about how museum research and how museum collections actually impact um, disease prevention from like the mosquito yeah. aspect? Museum collections are inventory. Mm-hmm. They're in, in, in time and space. Mm-hmm. So we have collections that date back, uh, the Natural History Museum go back 300 years, but they have a geographical space of across the whole globe. So at a point in time, we can tell you what species was found where. This is incredibly important when it comes to uh, an individual country, let's say Indonesia, wants to know what mosquitoes are there, but it can go ask the rest of the world and we can say, we have found all these species in your country at this point. Yeah. Straight off, there's that. So we get a hit list of what's in what country. Right. And then many people thought that was great. That's what what collections do. And then we, we start to look at them. We can say, actually, in Indonesia, we found that species moved mm-hmm. because we've got date labels. And we could say, okay, and then this species came in so we could start looking invasives. Right. So that was great for collections that moved it on. But now we've got the molecular techniques. We can start asking all sorts of really really fun questions from our specimens Mm -hmm. we can use um, it to look at when insecticide resistance came in Mm -hmm. we can look at it for its diet we can look at our species or the speciation yeah we can incriminate what were cryptic species we couldn't do before so this helps us understanding really what was going on in previous populations and how we can relate to them now yeah we can look at whether they were carrying plasmodia Mm-hmm. We can look at the blood meal. We can look at all sorts of things. Yeah. With um, we can also look at what they were eating in terms of their nectar. We can use micro CT scanning to look at the stomach contents mm-hmm. and to incriminate what the pollen was. We got all of these new things that our collections do, and what we can do now, because I like to see it as paying it back. Mm-hmm. We have got these collections from all around the world that yeah. we have. We are digitizing them. We are scanning them. That information now goes online. It's free. It's accessible. So everywhere around the world can access collections that were caught in their own countries. Finally, we can give back. So it's a really useful and a really important time for collections. And also something we've got to think about, we still need to add to them. We still need to have these continuous time frames. Right. It is so important in understanding how everything interacts and what's going on. We've got the insectageddon. Mm-hmm. We know that we are now going through this terrible time. We're seeing species loss everywhere. Yeah. If we didn't have a lot of these museum collections, we wouldn't know what was there in the first place. But they are they are missing huge amounts of data. So we need people to keep going out there and doing this. Because if you're saying what was in Cambodia in 1968, yep. if somebody wasn't collecting in 1968 you have yeah. nothing and you if you're seeing something in the decade before yeah and you're not seeing it in the decade after you don't know no what was happening in between and 
the same is true for now. Yeah. Uh, so if we're not constantly collecting these animals, yeah. then there's there's it, no way to know. It's so hard for us to identify many of these species without mm-hmm. doing dissections. Mm-hmm. I play with genitalia a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Much to my parents' glee. Yeah. I'm like, no, I get paid for it, honestly. It's a professional thing. Uh, so we do need the actual specimens. It's not like with birds you could do a lot from IDs because suddenly we realize, so we were looking at a mosquito in Indonesia and realized that it wasn't one mosquito, it's four species. Mm-hmm. But if we had only had pictures or data points, we couldn't have gone back and told you right. which one was where. Yeah. So suddenly our historical information about this species is completely wrong. Yeah. But we have the specimens so we can go back and we can probably figure out which specimen was found where. And it helps us understand because two of these four species didn't transmit malaria. Yeah. So suddenly it becomes very important. Right. Right. And and not only is it a, a targeting issue, it's also why does one why is one good at transmitting and yep. why is the other not? And so we need the physical specimens to yeah. be able to look at it properly. We're starting, right. you know, we've got, we've suddenly got a plethora of new techniques from genomics to scanning mm-hmm. to all of these, the digitization, everything that helps us bring these specimens back once into the fore. Right. So it's, it was collected 200 years ago, but we're getting brand new information. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know, who knows what's going to happen in 10 years time. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely, it's, and it's, it's an essential time. It's, it's, it's a fun time. It's crazy time. Yeah. What we can ask from that one specimen now is like, wow, I'm no longer just looking at you thinking you're amazing. Are you now thinking about all sorts of things yeah, that you can do? Yeah, at every scale, absolutely, from, from molecular all the all way up. all the way to the ecosystem that it was living yeah. in. You can get all of that from just mm. one sample. I know. And and how many samples do you have? Yeah, a lot. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and we have. I think the uh, estimate, I believe, is thirty-four million. Yeah estimate you can come and count yeah but, uh, yeah so <laughs> well i mean with with insects it gets tricky it gets tricky. yeah yeah because like you have a whole jar full of maggots you're not going to sit yeah. there and count them no yeah <laughs> i've just been to the collection here yeah and again you've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of jars waiting to be looked through. oh yeah and yeah. it's like wow do you know how much information is just waiting to be explored yeah which yeah. is quite fun and uh and a lot of the people who are doing that work is are just volunteers. Yeah, yep. but um, if the volunteers uh, and the amateurs—I don't like that word—people uh, yeah. who aren't getting paid to do it yeah. are, are the lifeblood. I mean, in the UK, yeah. most of the people who are working on flies are going to be people who are not paid in that area. Mm-hmm. We have the Diptrus Forum, and there's 400 members, and um, right now they're they're running around. They've been collecting. They were identified. They do. Well, there's a lovely lady who's rearing up loads of different types of soldier flies in her <laughs> kitchen to look at the larvae and yeah. to identify which larvae is associated with, with adult, mm-hmm. how they feed everything. Yeah, because um, a lot of the body type uh, information that you need to identify the species is only for the adult. So that's that's what she's doing. Yeah. yeah. So mosquitoes, we call it link rearing. We call mm-hmm. it with everything. Yeah. Because the link uh, mosquitoes, when they shed their third it star skin. Mm-hmm. We keep that and we put it on a slide. And then mm-hmm. when they shed their pupil case, we keep that. And then we, we keep the adult. And um, interestingly, we, with the, we don't kill the adults for 24 hours because we let their genitalia rotate. 
Oh, yeah. It's you make sure it's correct. Yeah. It's always difficult for identification afterwards. Yeah. And this is great because then we can go into other environments and they mm-hmm. don't catch the adults. They've only got a little larvae collection and say, yes, it's this. Yeah. But mosquitoes are very different. Yeah. Because there's a lot more people researching them mm-hmm. and they do this. So 40% of the flies in the UK, we don't know what their larvae are. Wow. Wow. That's, <laughs> they're just like, ah, oh, smag it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Shrug. And this is like it's all it's all fun and giggles. Yeah. Well, they realise that they they ignore them in say um, soil ecology. Yeah. Because they're like, oh, it's a fly. I don't know. And it's like, well, that's probably doing more nutrient recycling than a lot of the other things. You're right. There. Right. But you've just ignored it. Another one of those areas that you were referring to, like how much work yeah. still needs to be done. Yes. I can hear in my brain my listeners being like, wait, go back. What is, what is this genital rotation yeah. thing that you're <laughs> referring to? Uh, so I can't be remiss in Sorry. asking more about this. <laughs> so uh, flies are quite weird. Um, um, you've seen flies in cop, as we affectionately mm-hmm. call it. So they do it in many different ways. Yeah. Um, a lot of, uh, have you seen bee flies? Do you know mm-hmm. bee flies? Mm-hmm. But the female fly along and she's dragging the male behind her. Yeah. And he's facing away and he's like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> he's holding on with his genitals, as it were. Yeah. Uh, which is fun for us. Yeah. <laughs> it's not so fun for him. Um, then there's a lot of flies that will maybe physically rotate the end of their abdomen mm. so that the, the mechanism is in a better position for him. Mm-hmm. So he can still lock into her. Yeah. But he then isn't being dragged behind. Right. So some of the rubber flies and things like that, he will rotate the end of his abdomen. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of the other flies are like, mm, do you know what? Let's just rotate it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's a muscle rotation to mm-hmm. get it into the right position. And some will do 90 degrees. Mm-hmm. Some will do a whole 360. Yeah. Really does depend on the organism. Yeah. And mosquitoes, I believe it's a 180 rotation mm-hmm. into position. So we'll wait for him to do that. And so then he can do it in the um, missionary style. I don't know how <laughs> polite you want to be. Oh, no. That's, okay, that's fine. That's, it, it puts the right image into yeah. your head. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, it, but... Um, actually, it's more doggy style. Sorry, um, yeah. I'm just going to shut up. Yeah. <laughs> so there are there are some flies that they do it head to head. Yeah. But that usually ends up in the death of the male. Oh wow. But that's that's another story. Yeah. Um. So yes, there's all these different mechanisms. Right. For him. Well, thank you so much for for coming and talking to me about bloodsuckers. Thanks. I mean, you you have a, a special place in your heart for parasites, just like I do. <laughs> um, so so I I really appreciate that. Hearing your perspectives on you know thinking of these animals as animals. organisms, yeah, and as as like a, a part of our environment, yeah. and but also at the same time being really concerned about diseases and respecting human health and and all of that is i think it's a really important conversation to have that yeah. that a lot of people aren't uh necessarily thinking about so so i really i really appreciate it thank you thank you for having me yeah cheers <laughs> catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 